Hey friends, welcome back to Deconstructing the Myth Season 3, a season full of conversations about how to move forward with life during and after deconstruction. My guest today, Grace Dellis, is the creator and curator of Hyssop and Laurel, a grassroots arts and literary magazine for religious deconstructionists. We discuss her deconstruction journey, the intersection between trauma and religion, and the bridge that art can create for creatives leaving behind toxic religious systems and ideologies. At the time of this airing, Grace has paused this magazine's publications as she pursues other endeavors as a poet. So just note that the magazine is not in fact accepting submissions at this time, but you can still access three wonderful issues online. We will link those in our show notes. Grace, I am really excited to have you on the show. Um, you, you were one of the first people that I actually followed on Instagram when I just started my page. Um, I think just a couple months in, I found you. And it's been over a year now since I followed you, I think, or maybe coming up on a year. I'd have to look. But anyways, you've been a real source of encouragement on my deconstruction journey, on this podcast journey, because you do something that I think a lot of people do don't do in the deconstruction space, which is really create a space for artists and writers to express themselves in a way that, I mean, just by nature, poetry and things like that are more fluid. And I just feel like in the deconstruction space, there's a lot of uh, rigid things happening. You know, we want to say this is wrong and this is right and and this is how it is and this isn't. And it's just really neat to see people having a space to kind of work through things but I'm not going to give too much away I want you to tell us about the project but um, let's just start by having you introduce yourself to our guests yeah um, well thank you for having me Um, I yeah I know that we have been connected on Instagram for a while and I just love chatting with you there and um, I think that the conversations you hold space for are so so great and important Um, yeah so I'm really excited to chat to you more today Uh, But my name is Grace. I live in Huntsville, Alabama. Um, I'm originally from Georgia, um, spent some time living abroad in Australia, and moved to Alabama middle of 2022 in July. Um, Okay. Pretty recent. Yeah, pretty recent. Yeah. Um, My husband works as a robotics engineer, um, and his company has a facility in Huntsville. So they said, do you guys want to transfer? And we said, sure. Um, so we, nice. yeah, we live here with our two little boys. We have a five-year-old and a two-year-old. Um, and I had previously worked for uh, seven or eight years in the nonprofit sector, um, mostly doing project management and community engagement. I also spent some time working in mental health and suicide prevention. Um, oh. And I had I was writing a lot of poetry on the side, um, not just about deconstruction. I have written poetry for many, many years. Uh, but in the last couple of years, much of it has been about religious deconstruction. Um, mm-hmm. And when we decided to move over here, I said to my husband, you know, since it's such a big transition, it would be great if I can take a little bit of a break from my career and just sort of focus on my writing. Um, and he was mm-hmm. very, very supportive of that. And so that's kind of where the Hyssop and Laurel project was born out of, was just me having the space to focus on my craft um, and wanting to bring other people into that as well. So, yeah. That's really beautiful. Well, it's definitely grown. I've seen it grow, and I've seen it really reach a lot of people. It's, it's exciting, honestly. Mm-hmm. And so can you tell us then some about your spiritual background and yeah. your personal deconstruction and kind of where you have landed yeah. now? Um, so I think I have kind of a unique 
deconstruction journey because I was not raised in a Christian home. Uh, Both my parents were raised in Christian homes. My dad was raised very strict Roman Catholic. My mom was raised um, Episcopalian. And both my parents deconstructed when they were young adults. Um, So by the time they had my brother and me, they were no longer affiliated with the church. Um, They did actually work in a church as musicians, but they were not Christians, and they didn't raise us to be Christians. Um, So it wasn't until, you know, I feel like uh, deconstruction is not all, but there is this predominant um, group of people who really experience traumatic childhood indoctrination from their homes. Um, And that was not the case for me. I had parents who were really open um, and who wanted us to explore whatever religion and spirituality or lack thereof, you know, whatever we wanted. Um, And so it wasn't until I was in high school, I went through a a pretty difficult time in middle school um, where I was bullied quite badly um, and I started struggling with depression um, and suicide ideation at a pretty young age. And so my parents actually had me transfer schools um, and the school that I started going to, the friends that I made all went to church. Um, and I, you know, I would have done literally anything to have people be my friends. And these people yeah. wanted me to go to church, so I went to church. Um, mm. So I, quote unquote, got saved when I was 15 um, in like a, you know, very evangelical revival situation. Um, and then I went through this period of being what I consider to be sort of adolescent indoctrination by the leaders around me who were telling me that it was uh, my job to save my family and that it was okay if my parents didn't like that I was going to church and that Jesus had said, you know, that the gospel would pit mother against daughter. And so, yeah, so there was this um, very intense like tension between wanting to have a strong relationship with my parents, but also wanting to please God um, and please the people around me. And it was very hard to do those things at the same time. Um, Mm -hmm. So I became very active in different student ministries. um, And even all through college, I was really heavily involved in campus ministries. Um, I have a degree in rhetoric and communication studies, which I got so that I could specifically work with faith-based nonprofits. Um, wow. is that, that was what I believed was my calling. Um, so my whole life was completely wrapped up in this belief that was creating quite a big chasm in my family life um, because my parents did not agree with it and knew that it was pushing harmful ideologies onto me, particularly as a young woman in the South. Um, mm. So after I graduated college, I ended up moving to Australia for what I thought was just going to be a year. Um, I had a year-long, they're called working holiday visas, um, so I got a job as a live-in nanny with a family in Australia. Um, and about six weeks after I got to Australia, I met my now husband, um, and we met at church, we met at Hillsong, um, wow. and we started dating, and we got married a year later, and our whole relationship was wrapped up in the church. Um, But I had, sorry, I'm kind of backtracking a little, but before I went to Australia, I had been in um, a really abusive relationship. Um, I was engaged to a young man who was interning at the church we went to, 
um, and he was emotionally and sexually abusive towards me. Um, mm. And so when I went to Australia and tried to work through that trauma with the help of my small group leaders, it turned into this wild rumor that I was, you know, this unpure person who no one should date and no one should, uh, you know, like I was unfit for leadership. And oh, wow. um, so when my now husband and I started dating, there were a lot of people who were like, you can't be with her because she's done this, this and this. Um, and it was really devastating. Um, mm. So we left Hillsong, but continued going to church um, and just kind of went on, went on, went on. Um, and then it was when we had our first child, um, so about five and a half years ago, that was kind of when deconstruction started for me. Um, there were a lot of doctrines and theological ideas that I really started to wrestle with when I met my child. Um, mm. You know, the idea of total depravity and original sin. Um, I had someone tell me when my son was six months old, you have to remember he's not perfect, he's already a sinner. And I was like, oh, I don't think he is. You know, I just mm. couldn't see him that way. Um, and so very slowly over about four and a half years, I um, deconstructed sort of all Calvinistic theology uh, became much more Wesleyan, um, so I stopped believing in total depravity, um, I stopped believing in a literal hell, um, I stopped believing in a literal Adam and Eve and a literal Old Testament, um, I became pro-choice, um, I became LGBTQIA plus affirming, um, and I didn't tell anyone, nobody knew that I had deconstructed all of those things because I knew that there would be significant pushback. Um, yeah. And I didn't want to risk losing my community and having to like defend my faith. Um, but then during COVID, um, where we were living in Australia, the lockdowns were very, very strict. Um, and I had recently had my second child I was on maternity leave from working in suicide prevention and mental health, which was a very mentally stressful work environment. So I was home for like 16 hours a day by myself with my two kids. So I, I do have a question before you go on. When you say no one knew, did your husband know? Was he kind of aware or did that actually include him as well? No, he was aware. So I would sort of tell him as things went on. Um, and he was always just like, okay, that's fine, whatever. Um, like he had no okay. reaction to anything. I am always very curious about relationship dynamics of people who deconstruct after they were married, kind of, you know, where both parties were thinking, oh, we're both Christians, we're doing this mm -hmm. um, God's way in many ways. So it's, it's interesting. And I'm glad to hear that you had a supportive place to do all that. Yeah, I think in many ways for my husband, because he was raised in a Christian family, um, mm -hmm. I think he had a lot of questions and doubts very early on that he didn't have the space or permission to explore and I think my deconstruction sort of opened up a safe space for him to kind of contemplate what he believed without having to address any of it with someone um, yeah and as I deconstructed he kind of came along after me um, and we you know we did end up going to marriage counseling together and we sat down and outlined what are our values if they're not quote-unquote Christian values and how are they similar and how are they different 
um, you know, why are we together? Why did we get together? Mm. Um, and it, it really strengthened our marriage so, so, so much. Um, I think we are much more um, equally yoked uh, now than <laughs> we were previously. Um, and now we wow. have s- just so much more grace for each other having difference in beliefs than we did previously mm. because previously it was like well if you don't believe exactly what I believe how do I know that you believe the right thing and how do I know that you're not sinning whereas now it's like people can believe whatever they want to believe it doesn't matter mm. um, yeah yeah so it's it's been a, a really big gift for our marriage um, in many many ways um, yeah. wow that's really beautiful mm-hmm. to hear because I know that's a source of I've had multiple people reach out to me about the marriage dynamic and how stressful it is, you know, mm-hmm. when people start changing um, belief yeah. and not, not being sure they're on the same page. So that's really encouraging to hear. Yeah. Sort of the, I guess, culmination or like the climax of my deconstruction came during COVID. Um, I just was really struggling mentally. Um, I was having really severe panic attacks, um, really intense um, intrusive thoughts and thoughts of self-harm um, mm. and I ended up going on antidepressants um, and it was it's like hard to describe it was it was as if a veil had been lifted from my eyes honestly and I was suddenly able mm. to see that so many of the things I thought I believed so many of the experiences I had thought were spiritual Um, were actually trauma responses. Um, I had been a person living with clinical anxiety and a panic disorder for years Mm -hmm. with no treatment, no real coping mechanisms. Um, I had severe medical trauma. Um, In the last 10 years, I've been diagnosed with an autoimmune disease. Um, I had PTSD after the birth of my first son. Um, Mm. I had bone cancer and a total hip replacement in between my two children Um, and then a c-section for my second son because it wasn't safe for me to try and give birth vaginally Um, Mm. so that there has just been uh, like I just couldn't cope I could not I was a person who really could not cope with my life um, because it uh, it was so stressful um, and I was not well And so the way that my mind kept me safe was by giving me faith. Um, And once my mind became safer and my mind became healthier, the belief just sort of dissolved. Um, Hmm. And it it, it wasn't, that doesn't make it easy. It was not an easy like, oh, this isn't real. It was very, very um, sad. Um, and I felt really lost and I felt really guilty Um, and I remember one night and I had told my husband and I had called my parents um, and had like sobbed on the phone to my parents about why was this so hard to stop believing in something and how had they done it Um, and you know I was so sorry for how I had made them feel and all this stuff Um, and I remember one night going to bed and just thinking you know, God, I don't know if you are real or not, but I know that I'm going to be okay either way. Um, Mm. And I woke up the next morning, and I just remember thinking, this is, God is not real, and I'm okay. Um, And that was it. 
um, that was just kind of the end of my faith. Um, wow. So it was a it was a very long process of slowly examining what my beliefs really were. But for me, the crux of my deconstruction came when I actually was given better coping mechanisms for my mental health, um, which I think is something we don't talk about very much. You know, why the church rails so hard against medication for anxiety and depression. Um, and, you know, I don't want to make big yeah. sweeping generalizations because I absolutely believe you can be a Christian and also take medication for mental illness. But I do yeah. think there is a large portion of people whose belief is really hinging on them not being able to think, um, not really being in control of their thoughts. Um, and the church, unfortunately, I think thrives on that. Um, you know, it's an environment where they have to be in control of what you think. Um, and if you can keep people from taking care of themselves, you can keep them in your control. Yeah, wow, that's very interesting. It's definitely something I've been thinking through because it's kind of glorified. Being in dark places is kind of glorified because it keeps you dependent on God. Yes. Um, and that's something, I don't know, I just, that's really resonating. That's really interesting that you bring that up. Mm. Okay, so you deconstructed. Mm -hmm. You would you describe yourself as an agnostic atheist, atheist, or spiritual? What would you describe yourself as? I would describe myself as um, an atheist and an optimistic nihilist. Oh, yeah. that's interesting. <laughs> Can you unpack optimistic nihilist for us a little bit? Um, yeah. So an optimistic nihilist is, as well, a nihilist is someone who doesn't believe that there's a greater purpose or like one set meaning to life um, okay. and an optimistic nihilist is someone who thinks that that is a beautiful and hopeful thing um, that it is actually the lack of you know capital P purpose or capital M meaning that makes life beautiful and meaningful uh, because we are actually the people who get to decide what our purpose is um, and what we want the meaning to be that's very interesting. So is that is that the view that Hyssop and Laurel was born out of? Or how did how did this project begin for you? I know you told us that the move was part of it, mm -hmm. but a lot of people, you know, deconstruct and become an atheist and they're kind of done with the conversation. They're like, mm -hmm. I don't see a need to talk anymore about this. However, you have almost pressed into the conversation even more, and it definitely more publicly, it seems like. Mm -hmm. So tell us a little bit about why you felt the desire to go in that direction with the um, magazine and the community. Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. Um, why did I? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, a really large part of it was that I was someone who served in creative ways in the church. Um, I was a worship leader, um, and I have written devotionals and Bible studies for church. Um, and I've written wow. a lot of Christian poetry. Um, and I had been submitting some poetry to online journals, and I just never felt like I could submit poetry about deconstruction because it always felt just like a little too angry or like a little too niche. Mm. Um, and I absolutely understand that not all journals, you know, like people don't want to post political and religious rants. 
um, like they, you know, they want yeah. to appeal to a wider audience. Um, but I just sort of had this feeling of like, I spent so many years not telling anyone what I was feeling or what I was thinking. Um, but I was connecting with communities on Instagram, like the New Evangelicals, um, teachers like Joe Lumen, uh, people like, um, oh, I can't think of her name right now, but it's like Eve was right or something. Um, oh, Eve was framed. Eve was framed. Is that who you're yes, talking that's about? What I'm talking yes. about. Yes, yeah. Um, so I knew that there were other people in this sphere, and I just sort of had this thought of, you know, I can't be the only person deconstructing who feels like they now have no place for their creativity. Um, mm. And, you know, a big part of that struggle is we're so often told that the reason g- God gives gifts is so that we can use them to glorify him. And if you're not using your gifts to glorify God, you're wasting them. So I did have this struggle for several months of, like, am I allowed to write about anything other than God? Um, hmm. like, am, am I allowed to, to be creative in a way that is worldly and secular? Um, and can anything good come out of that? Um, and yes, the answer is emphatically yes. Um, <laughs> and so His Up and Laurel was sort of, it just came from this really deep desire to connect with other writers and artists um, and to give people the space that I had not had. Um, and I think for me, part of why I want to keep having the conversation um, is because the trauma and grief that come from deconstruction um, and that come from the church and you know purity culture and misogyny and you know internalized homophobia and self-hatred and all this stuff it is so unique um and it does not go away um Mm. even when you're an atheist i still have moments of like like i came out as bisexual last year um okay and it 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 was so hard. <laughs> mm, um, yeah. I, you know, I was so embarrassed, and I felt like there's no point because I'm married to a man, so I'm like, you know, I pass as straight. So why does it matter? Um, mm. But it matters because I want to be authentic and honest in everything that I'm doing, um, and my sexuality is a part of me, even if it's not necessarily something that I'm exploring. Um, it's still. Yeah a part of me that was suppressed by the church that is now important for me to publicly push back on. Um, So I think, yeah, I think I want to keep having this conversation because it is hard to push back on this stuff. Um, It's hard to just talk about what you no longer believe. Um, And again, you know, this is a controlled tactic of evangelicalism that you're taught to never be ashamed of the gospel, to always be ready to give a defense. Um, that if people hate you for what you are believed, that's a sign that you are God's chosen. So when you step mm-hmm. out of that, you feel like you are evil. Um, and so I, I just want people to see that it is okay to talk about these things. Um, you're not yeah. bad for bringing attention to the way the church hurt you. You're not wrong for being angry. 
Um, you do not need to tone down the difficult emotions that you feel about the church. All of those conversations are necessary for healing. And in community, it is so, so powerful to realize that you're not the only one. Um, so even though for me, I don't particularly feel spiritual, I love seeing the way other people explore spirituality outside of Christianity. Um, I have a friend who reads tarot, and I love having her read, you know, like pulling tarot cards for me, um, mm -hmm. because I think that that's fun, and it's a, a way of exploring myself that I was not allowed to do for many, many years. I, s I still want people to be empowered in their beliefs, whatever they are, um, and if I can create a space where people feel safe to talk about what they've experienced and how it's affected them, um, and if I can give them a space to where their voice and their story can be amplified and told in their own words, that is just so powerful. Yeah. It's, it is just, it's important to me to give that to people. Yeah. I will say it just seems like a, a very hope-filled space. I'm, I gravitate towards people, I'm realizing as I'm talking to you, who give a lot of hope <laughs> in the deconstruction space because I remember mentioning this on a couple of my other guests and I guess it's I gravitate towards that because it can be such a I, f I hesitate to say negative space I think that's accurate but I don't mean negative in the sense that it shouldn't exist what I mean is okay let me back up a second <laughs> the deconstruction space can so often be negative and that is not to me negative in the sense it shouldn't happen mm -hmm. because I do think you know, there is a place for anger. There is a place to point out problems with our churches, with our theologies, with everything. It needs to happen. However, I also find that myself personally, I gravitate towards these places that offer a, a gentler passageway, maybe, into the darkness. <laughs> what a strange thing to say. But I feel like your page is that. It's like a gentle passageway into the darkness. Take that as a That's compliment. A I mean that as a compliment. <laughs> I no, mean yeah. this in the best way. Like it feels very comforting. And there are definitely pieces that you post of your own and other people that, you know, are hard. They're hard to read in different ways, but that because it's poetry and because it's written in a beautiful way, to me, I'm drawn to truly the art of it, the art of what you've created, because it makes it easier to engage with the discussion without some of the usual barriers I think I have up. Um, and I'm also really curious uh, to talk about the role of creativity in deconstruction and how those two kind of dance together. I don't, I don't actually have really questions prepped on this, mm -hmm. but as you were talking, I was kind of thinking about in my past, um, I've been on a, a label, so I've, I've written songs and how it's ended up kind of panning out is different now. I, I write very specific songs, but in the past it was sort of like a free for all, like, okay, well, let's mm -hmm. see what you have. And I remember being very strongly evangelical but I had a really hard time actually writing Christian material mm -hmm. for songs. But I would write these songs, and everyone thought they were love songs. But I was like, these are not about a person at all. <laughs> and I think it was kind of almost a subconscious beginning of deconstruction. You know, this yeah. idea of uh, this to me does feel like things I would say about God that I wouldn't necessarily be able to say straight out. Mm -hmm. um, and 
people to ask who's it about it's like well god or well i don't know it just sounded good but looking back there's this trail and so i'm really curious for you personally what role did writing play in your deconstruction and kind of in your life now post deconstruction would you describe yourself post deconstruction Um, or is it kind of ongoing i think it's ongoing i think i view deconstruction sort of like decolonization Um, as a white person i will always be decolonizing i will never be 100 percent decolonized um Mm -hmm. and i think in the same way deconstruction goes on and on and on and on because there are these sort of like pressure points where you know someone comments on your outfit and you're hit with like a purity culture bomb Mm, Um, yeah okay you know you realize when you're married and have kids that you're not actually straight and then you're hit with like oh my god i have had internalized (laughs) homophobia my whole life even though it's the gift that keeps giving yeah so (laughs) (laughs) i think as long as the trauma exists (laughs) the deconstruction is ongoing um that sounds so depressing um but um but it's true and it doesn't have to be bad it just means healing there's mm-hmm. still healing and which I is think, also a good thing you know i i think this is probably because i studied rhetoric i'm very um tend to be like really anal about syntax and linguistics um okay. and like the word deconstruction um it's it's just meant to be of a linguistic theory basically it's meant to mean unpacking and critically mm-hmm. analyzing beliefs Um, And so on some level, I do think that each and every one of us should be deconstructing in some way all the time, even if it's subconscious or sort of like superficial. Um, I never think any of us should get to a point in our life where we're just like, this is what I believe. And I have no questions, no curiosity, nothing left to ask or unpack about this. Um, But yeah, I don't see myself ever getting to that point where I'm just like, this is done. (laughs) I'm finished. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, that's really beautiful to put it that way. Okay, so then you're writing yeah. and, and how that intersects with it. Have you found, I don't even know what the question is in there. I'm just really curious about the connection. So mm-hmm. any comments you have on the connection <laughs> will be the perfect answer to this question. I can't quite Yeah, form. I have so many. We'll have to do a okay, whole, good. I could do a whole separate <laughs> podcast just on this. Um, oh, nice. Maybe I'll start okay. one one day. Um, yeah. So I think... I think writing, uh, well, I think creative work in any capacity, whether it's writing or spoken word or music or visual art, um, it is this sort of meditative practice of considering how we view the world um, and just allowing that to kind of wash over us, allowing ourselves to sort of sit with things that are perhaps uncomfortable or scary or overwhelming, um, and then finding pathways through things. Um, Mm. And, you know, journaling is a very common technique in meditation and grounding. Um, It's encouraged in Christian spaces. It's something that so many of us know. There's something about processing your thoughts and feelings on paper or out loud that is profoundly powerful. Uh, particularly mm-hmm. for people dealing with grief and trauma, no matter what it is. You know, we, we all know that it is unhealthy to have all of our emotions pent up inside of us. We need to have outlets for them. Um, for me, that outlet happens to be poetry. 
Um, and as I said previously, I used to write a lot of Christian poetry, so part of my deconstruction um, was actually going back to poems I wrote specifically about God and specifically about church and at, like deconstructing the poems. And so I have several that started as poems about Christianity, about being Christian, like worship poems, I guess, that I actually wow. rewrote um, from a deconstructed perspective. Um, mm. So there was kind of that level of, it was like a very physical exercise of unpacking, how would I say this now? Um, you know, I, I once wrote a poem about the feeling of going back to church in person after being in lockdown and how it was like being in a garden um, and the, you know, the birds singing around you and um, our fingers are like flowering branches. Um, and I rewrote it into a poem about staying home on a Sunday morning and how the birds come to the oh window neat. and drop seeds. Um, and we water the seeds and then we leave them. There was that kind of level of it. Um, I think another level of it for me was because I did not want to talk to anyone about my deconstruction. It was just a safe space for me to explore these very complex and difficult feelings that no one else was going to see. And of course, now yeah. I've published all those poems in my chat book. Um, and so now yes. everyone can see them. Signs um, and wonders. Yes. Um, it's a beautiful, beautiful little book. Thank you. But yeah, that was, it was just this sort of exercise of this is the place where I can come, my secret place, if you want to call it that, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, where I can say the things that I'm too afraid to say to anybody else, that I'm too afraid to even really say to myself. But once I've said them, they become so beautiful. So in the first issue of Hisat and Laurel, I interviewed um, an art therapist who specializes in, um, she works with clients who have come out of high control religious environments. And so we did an interview talking about why art therapy is so helpful. Um, and she talked about a lot of the same things, that it allows people to kind of get out of their own heads and express things in ways that they have not considered before. Um, and it allows them to almost get a bird's eye view of their own perspective um, and just sort of simplifies things so they can step back and just see what they're experiencing. Um, so the second issue of Hisat and Laurel um, is coming out to the public this Saturday, which is, it'll be after this podcast, but it will be out. Mm -hmm. I've interviewed David Hayward, um, who is at Naked Pastor on Instagram. Yay! Um, yeah, so that was really wonderful to get to talk to him. Um, and he said, you know, similarly, there's just an honesty that comes from art that you sometimes don't get anywhere else. Um, mm -hmm. That kind of expression is just really freeing. Um, yeah, so I... I think they're just, there's just so much to it. I think even for people that don't consider themselves artists, um, just having a practice, or not even having a practice, just once, just once, you know, yeah. like go for a walk um, and take a picture of something um, and go home and write what it felt like to see it or like listen to music that you wouldn't normally listen to and think about how it feels in your body to hear that music. Um, mm. Yeah, I, I think that art and music and creative work um, have this power over us to just allow us to exist more openly. And it has been really healing for me. Um, I'm someone who tends to be pretty even-tempered, 
um, and a lot of my poetry now uh, is very angry um, mm. or like I'm really private with intimate things but I've started writing very intimate poems with a lot of sensual imagery um, it's just a way of exploring sides of myself that I don't necessarily show to the world but they're still important um, yeah. and they still deserve expression and recognition I love it all it's <laughs> really good to think about and actually you're kind of helping me process the songwriting thing I was telling you about earlier for me mm-hmm. just how these things like why did I write songs that way I never really knew and it's like oh it makes a lot of sense because yeah. it's an, a diff there's no rules yeah on the emotions and on what you're feeling because you're trying to make something beautiful so exactly. who cares if you know anyway that's really beautiful so as we finish up I would love for you to tell us where people can find you where people can access Hyssop and Laurel and before actually we do that how did you come up with the name because the name is so beautiful to me I love it and uh, when I first started following you I was like what is this I really just (laughs) love the name so yeah Yeah, how um, did you come up with that so I was in two minds about the name I wanted it to have a name that came from the bible um but was also kind of satirical. Um, okay. But I did want it to be this very gentle doorway so that if a Christian saw it, they would not immediately be turned away. Mm-hmm. Because this is another hope that I have is that more people who are still active in the church will see this and that it will just give them space to have a little bit more empathy and a little bit more curiosity about what is happening when people mm-hmm. deconstruct. Um so I was kind of in two minds of like, should I call it something like the Apostates Coalition? Or like no. <laughs> um, <laughs> a less gentle <laughs> doorway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Hyssop and Laurel are two of the only plants mentioned by name in the Bible. Um, Hyssop is mentioned in the Old Testament in Exodus. It is the plant that Moses instructs the Israelites to use to paint blood on their door frames. They dip the hyssop okay. in the blood. And brush it over the doorway. Very cool. Um, and okay. Jesus's crown of thorns was made out of laurel leaves, um, and laurel symbolizes victory. Um, wow! So it is, I never knew this. Yeah, and I've read those so many times. That's very interesting. Yeah. So it's sort of this. Um, I guess it is sort of a very gentle satirical take on the ideas that we need someone else to save us, um, mm-hmm. and we need an external marker that we are safe but actually we can do those things for ourselves. Um, we can save ourselves and we can be our own victory. So that is, that's how the name came about. That is so interesting. And honestly, I will tell you, when I first found you, I thought you were, I, I, I don't know if I thought you were necessarily, well, yeah, I guess I did. I was like, oh, this is a Christian page. Mm-hmm. And this was early on before you had, you know, everything. Yeah. yeah you've made just a beautiful space that I do Thank feel like you. is very inviting. Thank so, okay. Where can we find you? Yeah. Um, well, you can find um, Hyssop and Laurel on Instagram. It's just at Hyssop and Laurel, which is H-Y-S-S-O-P and L-A-U-R-E-L. Um, our website okay. is hyssopandlaurel.com. Um, we are also Hyssop and Laurel on Patreon. Um, we have a three-tier Patreon, so we do um, things like Zoom workshops um, for patrons, early access to the magazine. Um, we're over on Etsy, um, also Hyssop and Laurel, so um, patrons get discounts for Etsy. Um, we do playlists and phone backgrounds and all kinds of fun stuff. 
You can find my personal Instagram. It's just Grace Dellis if people want to find me there. And then my book, Signs and Wonders, um, is available through Bottle Cap Press. Yay! Well, thank you, Grace, so much for taking the time to share your story and your thoughts with us today. I think this is going to be really impactful for those in our community at Deconstructing the Myth who, you know, maybe kind of have squelched their creative side or haven't explored that avenue. I definitely encourage people to check your page out because I think it can be like a healing balm. Thank you. Yeah, thank (laughs) you so much for having me. If this episode was meaningful to you, please consider supporting the show at patreon.com slash deconstructing the myth so that episodes like today's keep coming.